Welcome everyone to the start of a new series on CBD Talks where we're going to be doing a 14-era overview, uh, one episode per era of the Bible. So if you ever wanted to know what is the whole big meta story of the Bible, uh, just watch the series and stay tuned. Our first episode on creation starts right now. So as we hop into the first era of the Bible, the creation era, uh, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense that this is the era that the Bible starts in. The beginning of all things, God created the heavens and the earth. But there's so much content in this relatively short era of the Bible. Um, there's so much content and so many stories that it's really easy to get sidetracked. And it's really easy to kind of, um, you know, where you miss the forest for the leaves, right? You're so focused on some of the details that the Bible just doesn't tell us uh, that we miss like the big picture that God is trying to establish and weave. And so what we want to do as we go through these era overviews is really focus on what's the big picture, what are the big stories. And I do want to say just as we're talking through this, if you're listening, if you have any really specific questions of like, here's a weird phrase, I always want to know what that phrase meant, um, you can reach out to us, you can email, you can comment, but you know what the best source for answering those questions are? Um, your local pastor at your local church would probably be the best person to have an in-depth conversation. We're just trying to do a flyby on this is the big story of the Bible. And if you stick with us over 14 weeks as we cover each era, you'll have a good grasp about the big story of the Bible, of what we call the meta-narrative of Scripture. And it really helps provide just a framework for understanding and placing all of these, sometimes what seems to us, separate um disconnected stories into one framework, one ongoing story of God revealing himself, uh, his character, and his plan for redemption for us. Yeah, and that's exactly why we want to study the Bible chronologically. And we're so excited about the the new uh, release with Tyndale, the the one year chronological study Bible. Mm-hmm. But we want to study the Bible chronologically to understand the fourteen era framework mm-hmm. and and place that over the text of Scripture, so that we we know that uh, the, the the God of the Bible, the God who tells the story of who He is and who we are. The, the creation era really begins as God is, is bringing his covenant people, Israel, out of slavery from mm-hmm. Egypt. And, 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 and the first five books of the Bible are written during this period of time as God calls them to Mount Sinai. And, and then they, they begin to learn to walk with him by faith. He's really deprogramming them from everything they learned in, in Egypt. And the first words of the Bible really show us something interesting about God. He mm-hmm. wants to be known as creator. That's right. And so in order to be known as creator, he doesn't give them a list of bullet point theological truths about his character and, and all yeah. of his attributes. God just says, y'all come here, let me tell you a story. Yep. In the beginning, mm-hmm. I'm the one that created everything you can observe. That's right. And I think it's so important to point out that you know instead of listing theological terms and definitions, God tells the story of creation. We'll see this throughout the whole Bible as we walk through it. Um, Instead of God giving, or instead of God like giving us a theological textbook or a dictionary of terms, he is just telling us his story, because his story is our story. It's the story of creation, redemption, and it just starts with God simply explaining, listen, you know, all those other stories you've heard, all those myths about these other gods doing those things, I want you to know right at the beginning, no, 
I'm the one that created everything. Don't think that some other God created the sun. And don't think that some other God created uh, land animals. Like, no, let me go through it systematically and really explain that I am the creator. Nothing was created uh, outside of outside of me. Like, God literally made everything. And I think sometimes, uh, again, we miss the forest for the leaves. We get so focused on a lot of the specific details. I had one person ask me, actually, when did God actually make frogs and amphibians? Because it was like, there's one day he made all the uh, creatures that dwell in the sea and water and then one on land. It's like, well, which day do those fit in? And I was like, you know what? I have absolutely no idea. The point is he made them on one of those two days. <laughs> That's right. Well, and and really, as you look at the at the big picture, God shows us that He is good and that His word is true, just as a basic framework for what God is is how God is acting mm-hmm. and what He is revealing as He speaks, and 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 as God creates, He He creates in systems. He creates yeah. in systems that are sustain sustainable, mm-hmm. and and we find out that He is sustaining all of them, but but they're incredibly complex and all interdependent on one another. That's and what right. we emerge with from the creation stories this picture of creator God who is who is so vast mm-hmm. and and so powerful so glorious so majestic that that we really we really have to sit back and say okay this is creator God trying to tell basically handfuls of dust yeah. who he is and so he he shows us that 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 he spoke things into existence and that he mm-hmm. commanded things that were already created to form and and shape and organize. Yep. And and basically God shows us that he, as creator, uh, the reason he wants to be known as creator is because only creator God can have that kind of authority, mm-hmm. that kind of power, and that kind of wisdom. Yeah, you know, and I think it's really great that you brought up that he's a God of, of order and of systems. Uh, you know, a lot of times uh, there are terms in the Bible uh, that because they're only used in reference to the biblical story, uh, we actually lose the meaning of the original term. And I think Eden is one of those. You know, the word Eden literally means a walled garden. And we sometimes try to to explain that fact by even saying like, well, it's the Garden of Eden. But what Eden really is, is it's this picture of God uh, taking creation and like a gardener, creating this walled, safe place of perfect order where everything has a, a place, a perfect, he's completely sovereign. So there's no there's no randomness, there's no chance, there's no chaos at all. Like it's this idea of a, a perfect walled garden. And I think that idea of order and systems is really what you get in the first creation story. But you know, when you get to Genesis chapter two, you know what you find out? There's a second creation story. Uh, and as people read through the Bible for the first time, another one of the common questions that I get, other than the, the when did he create frogs and amphibians, is they say, well, what happened to Adam's first wife? Oh first time I was, I was like, what, what do you mean Adam's first wife? Oh well, if you read the first creation story, Genesis chapter 1, you know, he says he created everything according to its kinds, and it says that he created you know, man and woman, male and female. When you get to Genesis chapter 2, it's not God saying this is what happens next after that. Because then we have the story of him uh, creating Eve from the rib of Adam. They're like, well, what happened to the first woman he made? It's a retelling of that same creation story. But it focuses on something slightly different. Instead of really focusing on the orders and systems, and instead really focuses on 
our place uh, in creation, on what does it mean to be man and woman? What does it mean to be human? Because we are not like the rest of creation. Specifically, there's one thing that really sets us apart. It says that we are made in the image of God. So, Joel, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, it's really, really important that we understand what that means. It, it, it serves as the fundamental element and basis of our identity that mm -hmm. God assigns to us, not that we evaluate and determine for ourselves. But I would encourage you not to, to look at these two chapters as two separate stories mm -hmm. of creation. It's the same story. It's one story of creation. It's just that we have the 50,000-foot view, yep. and then we have uh, a, a, a microscopic view where we come down and, 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 and look at details. Mm -hmm. and, and so everything that we see is God speaks things to existence as he organizes. He, uh, he, he evaluates what he creates. And we find in, in Genesis 2 that really everything God creates is leading and moving toward this moment where he mm -hmm. creates man in his own image. Yep. Look at a summary statement in, in chapter 1 where God really gives man his role in mm -hmm. all of this creation, that man has dominion yep. over all things, and, and that God commanded them to, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. Mm -hmm. And so we see that God's intention for man is that they, 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 they live a flourishing life. Yep. And so when God makes man in his image, though, he sets them apart from all other creation. Basically what God is doing is he wants to make sure that man can understand everything that he communicates about himself. Yep. So we're made in his image, and a lot of times we get... You know, we get caught in 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 the minutia of trying to figure out. Well, does that mean we look like God? Does that mean we yeah. act like God? Really, just to make it simple, in order for us to understand who God is, what He has communicated about Himself, and live in a relationship with Him, mm -hmm. we have to be made in His image. Yes. There has to be a likeness so that there can be. Uh, communication. And so uh, he did this in a really interesting way. He made us in his image, both male and female. Boy, is that important in our current cultural yep. moment. But what we find as we see the order of how he did this, mm -hmm. he creates Adam, places Adam in the garden for Adam's flourishing, gives him instruction to tend the garden and keep it, and, and then tells Adam, he can eat of any tree in the garden, but he cannot eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. And in this moment, God creates that faith relationship, that mm -hmm. faith system. And he calls Adam and everyone after him to walk with God by faith. Very interesting. The next thing God does is he says, hmm, not good for man to be alone. Yeah. So <laughs> he gives him instruction and he says, not good for him to be alone in that. He's yep. going to need a helper. And so God makes a helper for Adam. But before mm -hmm. he does, he has Adam name all of the animals. Yep. What is God doing? He's creating this eureka song inspiring mm -hmm. moment for Adam mm -hmm. so that when Adam sees Eve for the first time, he realizes that she is the most treasured possession yep. on the face of the earth. And we see very quickly that being made in the image of God is, is, is really God's intention for us to know him. But he created us male and female and assigned that identity to us that we are equal uh, image bearers yeah. of our creator. 
and and with different roles in mm-hmm. this creation. But ultimately, God designed a, a faith system that we together are able to understand God's instructions, His promises, His prohibitions, and help each other obey them. Today's episode is brought to you by ChronologicalBibleTeaching.com, your one-stop shop for attaining Bible literacy, understanding of the 14 eras, and continuing on your Bible literacy journey. That's right. If you want to grow in your Bible literacy, ChronologicalBibleTeaching.com is a, a, a never-ending resource of commentary and tools that will help you on your discipleship journey. Well, Jake, right after the creation story, we we see that man chooses not to submit themselves to God's kingship, That's right. <laughs> but man chooses to rule themselves. Mm-hmm. And we've always struggled with this, but we we see the the insertion of a of a new character uh, that we have not seen yet in yep. in scripture our great enemy. And we see that the enemy distorts our view of God. Yep. And so because of the the complexity of that okay. issue, Jake, we we need a very very simple explanation of of how the enemy distorts our view mm-hmm. of God. So give that to us real quick. Yeah, really simple explanation for how the enemy, how how Satan, how the devil uh, distorts our understanding of who God is and his purposes for us. Um, you know, Satan is cunning, and that means that he's incredibly wise. And that's something that we we often forget. Like, Satan is, he's smarter than I am. He's more cunning than I am. It says very clearly in Scripture, uh, he is the most cunning of all the creatures. And that means that he can outsmart me, and he can out debate me and he can trick me. And the way that he does this is by feeding us these half truths, right? He'll he'll give us like half a truth that kind of sounds right but isn't completely true, and then he'll ask us a question knowing that we'll come to wrong conclusions. And and that's that's how it works throughout uh, not just in this creation story but also in our real life today. You know, Satan doesn't creep up to someone and just starts whispering like, hey, murder is good. You should kill people. Like, that's not how it works. It it starts off these subtle things of like, you know, is is life really worth living? Is Does that person really deserve that promotion over you? Is are, you? are you really happy in your marriage? Like, those are the questions. And that's that leading response where he's trying to get us to question uh, both the character of God, the purpose of God, and what our response to that is. So I, he, I, I thought you were going to say that, that he starts off with things like Snickers really satisfies you, or, or yes. you know, something. You know, this, a, a this bag analogy. of this bag of Doritos is actually good for you. No way, he does. Well, here's here's how here's how Satan would get you to eat a bag of Doritos, which has no nutritional value but is delicious. Uh, he would say something like, "Hey, doesn't God want you to?" be happy won't that bag of poison really make you happy like that's but that's what he does and that's what he does. did god really say um, that you can't eat of this fruit like did, is he did he really say that and the second we start questioning who god is uh and if his word is true uh, it opens up the floodgates to all kinds of temptations because satan is more cunning than we are and if we stand firm on god's truth then we'll prevail. 
But if we try to outsmart him our own way, if we try to outreason him, like we're going to lose. He is more cunning than we are. That's something we often forget. Yeah, we see that that it, that in the story of the fall, Satan really challenges the character of God in yeah. Eve's eyes, and he approaches the woman, and he he really tries to get her to believe a lie about God. Mm-hmm. She want, he wants her to doubt God's goodness and doubt the truthfulness of His word. And the reason for this is because if he can get you thinking wrongly about God, you are thinking wrongly about reality. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the the enemy inserts a lie about God into the garden. I think it's interesting if you really think about this. Sometimes I get asked the question, well, were, were Adam and Eve created perfect? And, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't there. All I have is the text of Scripture. Yeah. But my thinking on this is that, no, Adam and Eve weren't created perfect. They, they, were, they were created innocently. Yeah. They didn't know anything except what God had shown them. They never would have thought to disobey God mm-hmm. unless the enemy had come in and suggested that, yep. hey, God's not who he says he is. But we see the difference between living by sight and living by faith, mm-hmm. because Eve hears this lie, she considers it, she evaluates with her eyes mm-hmm. this fruit on this tree. And desire is birthed in her heart, and then that desire gives birth and conceives sin. Which also shows, you know, another big truth of the Bible, which is at the very beginning, uh, we have this idea that God gives us free will, and we get to make our own choices. And Adam and Eve made their choice. And every day we make our own choices as well. Some people think that God, you know, forces people to do things, but nowhere in Scripture uh, do you see God, you know, forcing someone to uh, repent or forcing someone to sin. He's not the author of sin. And so what you really see is Satan, by telling that lie, by putting doubt in his mind, really gives her a choice of, do I choose to believe this lie about God, or do I choose to believe what God has revealed about himself? And isn't that the lie? Uh, isn't that the choice that we all make? Isn't that really what sin is when we choose to believe a lie about God? And we act on it. And mm-hmm. and this, the Bible says, carries with it the punishment of death. And so we see that sin has consequences here in early in Scripture. Fear, shame, guilt, yep. they're, they're experienced immediate by Adam and Eve. Immediate. And, and every culture in the world, every person experiences these three things because we're all sinners. We all think wrongly about God. We act on that wrong thinking. But it, it, the, the thing that we see God do, because we're always looking at how God is speaking, how he's acting, yep. and how he is revealing who he is. Mm-hmm. Immediately, God comes into the garden. Mm-hmm. He asks a series of questions, trying to get Adam and Eve to be honest with him. Yep. Uh, they're not. But immediately, the consequences of sin directly are evident in God's cursing. Yep. We see the difference between living in God's blessing and living under the consequences of sin, God's yep. curse, God's mm-hmm. wrath. So what are these curses about in this story of the fall? Well, I'm glad that you you asked because a lot of people think that you know these curses from God, they don't think they're really curses. They think it's just God like removing some of his blessing. But the, the text clearly says like, it's curses. It, it's God punishing sinful actions, and you see him. Uh, you see him kind of delve out uh, these curses um, 
by order of which they assign blame to each other. And so you have different curses for the different roles, right? So for instance, uh, Eve, uh, her curse is one we understand very clearly, the pain and difficulty of, of childbirth. And anyone who's ever worked on a farm or anything knows like, animals are great at giving birth. Like if you, a deer can give birth, the, the fawn like comes out of the mother and within minutes is like running around. It's like fully grown, like it's fine. And the mother like has never stopped eating, like just super casual. That's not how it is in humans. There's pain and there's labor and there's difficulty. But also Eve's relationship with Adam uh, is also ruined and cursed because of it. it says that her desire would be for her husband, he will rule over her. And we see even those power structures that at play today of uh, man and woman's relationship not being what it was before the fall. For Adam, you see that not only is Adam cursed, but also the work that he was given was cursed. His job was to tend, to take care, to watch over the garden. But now the ground itself is cursed. Um, so it is by blood and sweat that he'll have to toil all the days of, of his life to produce the fruit, to produce the food that was once so abundant that they didn't have to work for it, really. And so you see all these curses, but you get to the curse of, of Satan. And this is where this is where Jesus shows up, by the way. If you're wondering when they're going to get to Jesus, it's right here at the first era. Uh, God curses Satan and uh, and says that you'll you'll crawl along uh, your belly, eat the dust of the ground. But one day, the seed of the woman, uh, like you'll strike the seed of the woman's uh, ankle, uh, but he will crush your head. He will destroy you. He will smite you. It'll be complete a complete defeat. And so you see these curses in proportion uh, by how they assign blame to each other. Uh, and one of the things that I want to point out is this: this these curses, these punishments, also reveal how God deals with and and judges sin. I want to point out the fall didn't happen as soon as Eve took a bite of the fruit. It's when Adam and Eve. It's when Adam also took a bite of the fruit. That's when the fall happened. Uh, in all of humanity at once. And God doesn't immediately bestow curses as soon as that sin happens. You have essentially a trial. You have God questioning them. You have them offering defenses. You have God finding them guilty. And that's exactly what's going to happen right now. Sometimes we wonder um, how come God isn't acting right now in this moment for certain things. And it's like, well, we have a pattern for how he acts right? He gives us free will, gives us a choice. We choose to sin against him. A lot of people spend their whole lives running away from God, trying to hide from them. Uh, and then if they're confronted with their sin, trying to assign blame to everything else, but ultimately God is a righteous judge. And so he will judge the results of sin. But I do want to point out that the story doesn't end with God giving these curses, and it's like the end, humanity's doomed. Um, he also presents the gospel, and he also uh, describes a seed of promise. You want to go into detail about that, Joel? Absolutely. The, the devastation of sin is evident. They're kicked out of the garden. They lose the right to the tree of life. And so you, you have this woman who's been blamed, this man that's been cursed, and the enemy that caused all of it is is cursed as well. This is not, this is an ugly situation. Mm -hmm. And so the cornerstone question in the Bible is, how is God going to deal with this? Yeah. How is he going to deal with the fact that his image bearers reject him? Well, God forgives them. Mm -hmm. So he gives this woman hope. He says, look, there's, you are going to continue. You're going to bear children, mm -hmm. and there's going to be one from your seed who will crush the head of this serpent. Yeah. In other words, there's going to be one, a promised one, a Messiah, who mm -hmm. is going to remove the results of sin forever. Mm -hmm. Now, so that they would remember this promise, mm -hmm. God takes 
an animal or animals, mm-hmm. and he, he, he sheds their innocent blood, he takes their skin, and he clothes them with it. And, and, and we see God acting in mercy and mm-hmm. grace by choosing to forgive them. And, and because God had promised that in the day you eat of it, you will surely die, yep. there had to be death in the garden. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people struggle with what is happening here when God takes the skins yep. of animals and place it mm-hmm. on uh, and clothes them with it. It's not written explicitly in the text, but we find out later, specifically when we get to Leviticus chapter 10, that mm-hmm. God has given blood for the atonement. And yep. we see as the story of the Bible continues that God chooses by grace to accept the offering of a blood sacrifice, an yep. innocent animal whose blood is shed on behalf of the guilty. We ask the question, why would God do this? Well, you think about the skins that now covered Adam and Eve. They, yep. had, tr- they had covered their nakedness with fig leaves, mm-hmm. but God now gives them a new kind of clothes. God killed an animal that he had just called good mm-hmm. a few days before. Yep. And now they are wearing this dead animal's skins, smelling it, feeling it, mm-hmm. at all times aware that their sin, their rejection of God caused this. Yep. And so so God just creates this 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 picture though for them that would inevitably ensure that they would remember his promise. He's going to wait. There's going to be a passage of time, Mm -hmm. but there will be a seed Mm -hmm. of promise. Yep. And, you know, I think it's also so important to point out, you know, as you're, this is why you need to read the whole Bible. Like, really, this is why you need to read the whole Bible. There's some parts in Scripture where um, it happens, like, early on in the Old Testament. Later on, you get, you know, way far in the New Testament, and they make a reference to it. And if you don't know the Old Testament story, you're not going to understand that reference. Well, it also works backwards because the Bible references itself. There's some parts in Scripture uh, where, you know, you read it happen, and it's like, I don't really understand that. But it's like, well, don't worry. This is going to get explained a little bit further in Leviticus when it's going through the Passover. It's going to be explained a little bit further um, in Deuteronomy as it's really going to detail about the festivals. It's going to get explained a little bit further when David's offering sacrifice. It's going to get explained even further when we have Jesus, the Passover land. It, so it's one of these things of like, Sometimes there's concepts in the Bible, and you just read those few verses, and you're like, I don't really understand it. Read the rest of the Bible, because the rest of the Bible is going to explain and shed light on your understanding of this concept as well. Because what seemed crazy then, like, we look at it now, and you're like, no, but that's true. Like, it is through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ that our sin, our shame, our guilt, our nakedness before God can be covered up. So... You see right here at the beginning, uh, God is already uh, foretelling, and he's already uh, pointing towards uh, that messianic future, that seed of promise. It's right there, beginning in the Bible, Genesis. Yeah, and in Revelation, Jesus is called the Lamb who was slain, and that imagery, that picture begins right here in the story of the fall. And so we see here early on, as man rejects God and and sin enters the world, we see that the that God is incredibly good. He is gracious and he is merciful and he is just. But we see that man is incredibly broken and yep. sinful. 
You know, Joel, I often think that it would be an amazing thing if there was one Bible that was in chronological order that followed the 14 era frameworks, and then it had articles and helpful tools, uh, you know, just to help us understand the big story of the Bible. Yeah, wouldn't it be cool if there was one resource you could buy that could be used for communal faith growth as a church together mm-hmm. reads through the Bible and for small groups and for individual devotional reading time. Wouldn't that be great if that resource existed? Yeah, we would need that resource to be like a one-year chronological study Bible written with the CBT team. Wait a second. It does exist. And you can order yours today. So after these early stories of, of creation and the fall, we now kind of move on to like the the early history of mankind. Because, you know, Adam and Eve... They had kids, and their kids had kids, and it's the start of humanity. It's almost like um, the the prologue, like the beginning. It's like all the background details, and now we get into some family drama. And if you've ever read through the Bible before, you know the Bible is full of family drama. And in this early history, you have uh, the story of Cain and Abel. And, uh, and when I say family drama, I am not uh, exaggerating uh, in any way. So... Most people know the story of Cain and Abel, of like, yeah, it's Cain and Abel, and Cain was mad, so he murdered his brother Abel. And then uh, they had another son named Seth, and they kind of just leave it at that, like it's just this background history. But this is important for a lot of reasons. The first reason why it's important is because it's kind of setting up the stage uh, for mankind's journey uh, throughout the rest of history on the fact that there are really two paths of life. There are two ways to live your life. There, there's two ways to view God, uh, and it's to simply obey or not obey, to believe or not to believe, to be of the line of Cain or of the line of Seth. But one thing that I really want to focus on is, you know, whenever we get to the story of, of Cain and Abel, we also have this idea that sacrifice um, was important to God at this time. Uh, because we, we don't talk a lot about sacrifice because it's not something that we usually do in our, our culture nowadays. But, like, why did Cain murder Abel? Well, it says because Abel brought a sacrifice to the Lord that was pleasing. Cain brought a sacrifice to the Lord that was not pleasing. We don't have any details on what that sacrifice really was. We, we have a lot of uh, theories, some good, some bad, uh, about what that sacrifice could have been, why it could have been without. But one thing that that I think we can all agree on is the fact that it seems that Abel approached God the way that God had decreed he needed to be approached. And Cain did not. And God's response when Cain did not offer the correct sacrifice was not to reject him and push him away and condemn him in judgment there. No, God spoke to him. And God said, you know, Cain, sin is crouching at your door, all right? You must master it. You must overcome it. Don't let sin consume you. This is God saying like, hey, you're starting to sin. All right, repent. And won't your sacrifice be acceptable? Like, and and man, isn't that the gospel right there? Isn't that the idea of if if I come to God and and my life is a wreck and I'm and I'm sinful, God's like, listen, I will accept you, but you gotta repent of your sins. You can't come to me by your own strength, your own way. You got to come to me like the way that I've oriented it. And so once again, we're now in Genesis, uh, what, chapter four, and, and we have the, the gospel message again very clearly. But Cain, of course, does not 
repent. He does not approach God his own way. Instead, he murders his brother Abel. It's the first murder of the Bible, not the first death, because God committed the first death, sacrificed the animal to, to cover the skins or to cover Adam and Eve with their skins. But it's the first murder of the Bible in the very first family, right off the bat, creating two lines, two ways of living. And then you have something really interesting, and that's the mark of Cain. God puts a mark on Cain, and people have speculated um, over and over, what is the mark of Cain? I've even seen like some crazy theories of people like, well, it's like this magical tattoo, and it did all this, or it was like this blood curse. And I was like, no, it didn't say any of that. It says that God literally marked Cain for one reason, so that people wouldn't murder Cain. And you see very early on in Scripture, God saying, listen, there's going to be sin in this world, right? There's going to be murder, but we must not let violence create more violence. We don't need to continue in a cycle of sin of this person sinned against me, so I'm going to sin against them. Because the thought was, well, Cain murdered Abel. So now some of Abel's family, they're going to murder some of, they're going to murder Cain. Then Cain's family is going to go murder some of them back, and then you have this huge war. And you actually see when it goes through the genealogy of these, of these, the line of Cain, he ends up having a descendant called uh, Lamech, if I'm remembering that correctly. Uh, and Lamech says, hey, if someone uh, does violence against me, I'm going to do violence against them uh, 77 times, uh, 70 times. And it's, it's this crazy thing of uh, you see this pattern of increasing violence and evil spreading throughout the world. Um, and so I, I just want to point that out uh, just in that very beginning story. It's not just a story of murder. It's a story of two different paths of life. And your path in life is going to usually be followed by your descendants. You know, how parents raise their children affects their children. How you treat other people like affects the way that they're going to treat others as well. So you have two lines, Cain, uh, the line of Cain and the line of Seth. Um, and you know what? Uh, this is where we get to a really, I'd say, tricky portion of Scripture where a lot of theorists, uh, man, they just get this so wrong. Uh, I remember one specific part of, uh, there was a movie that came out with Russell Crowe a few years ago that said that there was the Nephilim and they were like giant rock monsters or something. And they claimed it was biblically accurate. And I was like, this is the craziest thing. And I had youth be like, does the Bible really say that there were rock monsters before Noah's flood? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they're like, well, Russell Crowe was in it. And I was like, well, that movie doesn't sound right, but I kind of want to see it because I like <laughs> Russell Crowe. But Joel, uh, what do you, can you please explain to our listeners like, what does it mean when it says that the sons of God uh, intermarried with the daughters of men? Yeah, and it, it's it's really simple. I think we we see the phrase "sons of God," and because poor commentary has been written, automatically our minds go to angels having intimate relationships with human females and creating this super bloodline which and, is crazy just and another that. race there's all kinds of problems if you choose that interpretive route mm -hmm. that you have to solve and become incredibly difficult to keep god's character intact rather than go through all of that just a basic explanation is is you see the story of the bible tracking two kinds of people as you said mm -hmm. you see this this revelation and very clear articulation that God has always required faith 
in order to live in a right relationship with him. And that faith, he requires be expressed through repentance. Mm-hmm. And that repentance he requires has an a, a, a specific set of terms. Before Jesus, the seed of the woman, the seed mm-hmm. of promise, before Jesus, God accepted repentance expressed through a blood sacrifice brought to him. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, after Jesus, Jesus Jesus was that final blood sacrifice yeah. that covers all sins. We have this simple story of two brothers. One decided to express repentance the way God required, mm-hmm. and the other defiantly refused. Mm-hmm. And you see, after Cain kills Abel, God replaces Abel's line lineage through Seth. Mm-hmm. And and you, you you see the Bible tracking these two lineages. There there are people who are faith walkers and they are altar people. And there are those who reject God and they live according to their own pleasures. So one generation after Seth, his decision his descendants are clearly marked as those who call on the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now you fast forward to Abraham's days and you see that this phrase, call on the name of the Lord, yep. this is a description of someone coming to God, expressing mm. their faith through repentance by bringing a blood sacrifice. Mm. But six generations after Cain, we get to Lamech, the, the guy you were talking about. Sexual immorality and violence are marking these lives. And so you see in Genesis chapter 6, this description of those from the line of Seth, sons of God, those who call on the name of the Lord, they began to take a sidetrack step like Eve did. Mm-hmm. They believed a lie about God. They began choosing wives, as many as they wanted, for yep. themselves. And you see that they look on the daughters of men and they begin to to marry in they, they begin to marry women whose hearts are far from God. Mm-hmm. And just like Solomon later on in the story marries a bunch of women who do not honor God yep. and worship God, they 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 his heart turns from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happens here. The sons of God are the the lineage of Seth and the, mm-hmm. the daughters of men are from the lineage of Cain. And yep. you see for the rest of the Bible, these two kinds of people and these two lineages mm-hmm. tracked. Yep. And, you know, that really explains, like, how did the world get so full of violence? How did the world become so perverse that God says, hey, judgment is coming. I'm going mm-hmm. I'm going to wipe out the world. Like, that's the setup to the flood. So understand, it's not that we have the story of Cain and Abel, and then we got the story of Noah and the flood, and they're not connected. It's one ongoing storyline. That's how the Bible treats it. One thing is leading directly into the next, following, uh, following actually the seed of promise, following this promise made Eve, and all the way till we get to Jesus' second coming. Yeah, and you see, ten generations from Adam yep. is 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 where Noah lives, and you see, it only takes ten generations from the time God redeemed the yep. situation of Adam and Eve sinning and calling man to walk by faith again takes 10 generations for everyone on earth to be so corrupt so that every thought and intention of man's heart is evil against God. And and we get to that that amazing phrase, but Noah found favor with God. And so 10 generations and everything just Mm-hmm. goes and, down the drain. And, you know, if, if you're reading this, you're probably thinking, yeah, that makes sense. You know, man never changes our world. Today's messed up too. Well, you know what? Man 
mankind doesn't change. You know who else doesn't change? God doesn't change. And so whenever we read the story of, of Noah's flood, we get so focused on the boat and in the animals, and we'll do like kids stories, and there'll be like a felt board, and like it's the best kids it. story ever. It, I mean, it is a it's an awesome kids story, but man, we're missing the point if that's what we focus on. It's it's a story of God saying, "Listen, I've decreed judgment on sin, and and I'm about to pour out my wrath. Like death is coming, but there is a way to be saved. And what does God ultimately require of Noah to be saved? He says, "Well, you have to believe me. You have to be willing to obey me." So God says, a flood is coming. You got to believe that flood's coming. Noah believed God. Uh, it was counted to him as righteous. Uh, not only that, but God said, hey, Noah, build a boat. He had to be willing to actually build the boat. God didn't teleport him out of there. God didn't give him a boat. He said, listen, a flood's coming, build a boat. What are we required to be saved uh, with by the blood of Jesus Christ? Well, we have to be willing to believe him, believe he's the son of God, believe he died for sin, believe he was raised again on the third day, believe he's coming back. But also, I have to be willing to obey him. I got to be willing to submit to him as Lord of my life. If I'm not willing to obey Jesus, uh, then he's not my Lord. Therefore, He's not my savior. Same thing with Noah. If Noah said, you know what, God, I believe that a flood's coming, but I ain't building a boat, uh, he would have drowned. And so you have this, again, that story of redemption, of salvation, the fact that God's terms for salvation, like they they don't change. It's that belief uh, and obedience. And so the flood comes, whole world is wiped out. And you have just a remnant that remains. You have Noah his sons and their wives, you have just their family. And they're now going to repopulate the world. But you know, the story doesn't end because it goes right into that next section, which is the story of the Tower of Babel. Do you know what happens as soon as they get get off the they get off the boat? God reaffirms his, his covenant with them, makes an actual a new covenant, Noahic covenant. We don't have time to go into all the details, but they do all these things, but God gave them a command. He said, hey, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the entire earth. The same command uh, that he gave to Adam and Eve, because, again, God never changes. But instead of going out and filling the earth and spreading out over uh, everything, uh, they decide to just congregate in one single place. That place was called Babel, and they decide to build for themselves a tower. Um, and God looks at this tower, looks at this city, and this is where, you know, a lot of people speculate about, like, well, how tall was the tower? Was it like a tower or was it a castle? Well, where was it? And, and I just want to say, you know, the, the Bible treats this story as God really explaining how we got different nations, tribes, and tongues. So they're all in one place. They're not spreading out. God says, that's not good. I'm going to make them disperse. I'm going to confuse their languages, and they're going to scatter across the entire world. So if you ever wondered, like, how come there are Eskimos? How come there's Aboriginals? How come you got Native Americans? How come you got uh, you have Asians? Like, why do we have all these different races and tribes and tongues spread across the entire world if we all started um, from one place? And it's like, well, this is the explanation for that. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. It's setting up world history. And I always thought it was uh, it was funny that, you know, 2,000 years of people rejecting the Bible and questioning whether it's correct. And yet, what does all the archaeological and genetic evidence point to? Hey, it seems like all of mankind originated from 
one group of people living in one region that just happens to be the same reason that the Bible describes. And so it's it's one of those things. And at some point they're like, they dispersed and there was a land bridge to North America. And I'm like, yeah, I read the Bible and I came to the same conclusion. Um, Absolutely. And and I think it's important to note, note once you get to the, the story of the Tower of Babel, mm-hmm. you you have to take a step back, notice the forest, and and not yeah. just the trees. But what God is doing is telling His people, His covenant people, a story: how yep. He created and how man entered into brokenness, and and how that transaction of of a man being sold into slavery to sin yep. actually occurred. And and the story is organized around three altar scenes. Mm-hmm. The, the the scene in the garden where God takes the skins of the animal, Abel's sacrifice, and yep. then Noah's sacrifice after the flood. Mm-hmm. It's important to understand that when God smelled the aroma of Noah's sacrifice, he was pleased and he promised never again to destroy the earth by yep. flood. And 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 he he, he put a sign of that promise mm-hmm. in in the sky, the rainbow, mm-hmm. and and the people after Noah were to see that sign, remember the promise, yep. and fill the earth and and mul- multiply yeah. and fill the earth. But in in Acts chapter seventeen, when Paul is talking to the Athenians on Mars Hill, mm-hmm. he gives us an explanation of why the story of Tower the Tower of Babel happened. Mm-hmm. He says that uh, from one man. God created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, mm-hmm. and he determined their boundaries. His purpose mm-hmm. for the nations, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Mm-hmm. So you see in the you see in Genesis this just description of the facts. Here's what happens. Yep. Then later in the New Testament, Paul gives us commentary that explains what yep. is going on. They are not obeying God. They're not seeking Him. Mm-hmm. After he, He's poured out His wrath, and He's given them a picture of redemption in the ark and, yep. and Noah. And after God has put a sign in the, in the mm-hmm. sky after rain that they can clearly see that all of what God has said is, is true and that he is good, now they, they choose to disobey him again. They choose to reject his kingship over their lives. And so God says, well, you know what? You're all going to—you will fill the earth. Yeah. And, and he disperses them, confuses their language, and he does it for a purpose— so that they will seek him. Mm-hmm. And you, if you imagine, like, like we're just, we're here, and then all of a sudden, like in a moment, think about it. We're speaking together, communicating, enjoying relationship, yep. influencing each other to sin against God. Yep. And then all of a sudden, we can't communicate anymore. Yep. And like, well, we're groping around trying yep. to find others that speak our new language. Yeah. We meet them and 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 then we have to go find our own place. That's right. And and the incredible confusion that that this caused, and God's purpose in it was to get people away from each other so that they could no longer influence each other to sin yeah. so rapidly. Mm-hmm. And 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 I just in, enjoy this story, even though we we just get a a. Just a glimpse of the facts in Genesis. Yep. We see as the story plays out, 
everything is moving toward this moment where God is going to make a promise to a man who he calls out of a family of idol worshipers and says, I'm going to create a nation out of your descendants. Well, see, Joel, you are now foreshadowing into the patriarch era. Of course, because that's the next episode. That that is the next episode. But before we get to that, we got to take a moment and we got to, we got to review. And the way we're going to review at the end of each of these episodes is we're just going to go over and remind everyone, hey, this is how God speaks. This is how God acts. This is what God reveals in this era of history. You know, Jake, just about on every episode, this book sits right here. And I bet you people wonder, what in the world is this book? Well, this is the 14 eras, a summary of the story from Genesis to Revelation. This is a a booklet written by Ava May, and it simply explains each of the 14 eras individually. That's right, and we use that booklet kind of like a basis as we're going through the 14 eras. It's a handy guide for anyone to help wrap their mind around the big story of the Bible and that 14 era framework. And the great news is it's available for purchase right now at chronologicalbibleteaching.com. Well, and we see very clearly God speaking from the beginning. He speaks things that do not exist. He, he commands them to exist, and they obey. He, he speaks instructions. He mm-hmm. gives instructions, promises, and he gives prohibitions, boundaries yep. for man to, to trust. He, he, gives, he gives instructions for flourishing, and he gives mm-hmm. promises so that man can evaluate his character and believe him and, and worship him in, in praise and in awe. And... And God also, though, he responds mm-hmm. to man's sin. He when he, he when yeah. when he responds, he asks questions. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting how the how God just asks questions. Yeah. But he also acts and and he 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 responds to man's sin by providing mm-hmm. man with a way to continue to live with him, a, a way for his spirit to continue to strive with man. He acts in forgiveness and redemption, but he also acts in wrath and judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and and ultimately, though, you see that God is revealing about himself. He is good. His, his word is true, and he is working for the flourishing of mankind. Yep. So one way that I like to summarize in this first era of, you know, God speaks, he acts, he reveals, and that's just a really good kind of like summary to kind of understand the meta-narrative of Scripture is, you know, I think here in the first era, it's important for us to point out, hey, God does speak. So many people think that God doesn't speak, but here right at the beginning, you're like, no, God has always spoken. And he's still speaking to us today uh, through his word. It's just that we don't want to listen to it. So we'll leave our Bibles on our bookshelves, or we'll, we'll never have our own Bible in the first place. We, we don't want to go to church. We don't want to hear what God's word has to say. God is constantly speaking. And you see him speak uh, throughout the creation era over and over and over, even when Adam and Eve are are hiding from God. I think it's so amazing that he goes and he seeks them out. He calls to them. He, he pursues them. them. It, yep. It's exactly what we see, that God is always speaking. He's not trying to hide himself from us. The same thing is, God is always acting. Sometimes we we get this image of God in our heads of like he's, he's some far-off entity and like he's hands-off and he doesn't do anything. I'm like, no, he's constantly acting through these stories. He's not just speaking. Yeah. He's interacting throughout all of history. 
We shouldn't think for a moment that we could have gotten where we are today in world history without God constantly acting. And if you read through the story of the Bible, uh, what you find out is that through everything, not only is God sometimes working in the background to orient events, but sometimes he's just directly doing things like story of the Tower of Babel. So when they're like, well, you know, what does God actually do? Well, first of all, the reason why we have different nations and tribes and tongues is because God directly intervened and caused confusion and, and scattered the people. God is always, always acting. It's just that sometimes when we have doubts and fears and shame and, and when we're actively hiding from God, we fail to see how he's acting in the world today. And and that's that's one of the big disappointments. But if you want to know how God acts throughout history, start reading his word because he details. Uh, God speaks, he acts. But here's the big third one. God reveals. And God reveals a lot of stuff to us, but you know what he's revealing most of all? He's revealing who he is. He's revealing how he works. The whole purpose of the Bible, um, you know, I once heard this acronym growing up. They said, hey, you know, the Bible's basic instructions before leaving earth. Because, like, that spells Bible. I'm like, well, that's it's a cool it, saying. Yeah, that's cool saying. It's funny. It's not, it's I just, not true, though. I just want you to say, I, I just want to interrupt. When, when you said that, you actually looked cooler and sounded cooler. Yeah. yeah. The Bible's basic instructions before leaving earth. No, it's not. The Bible is God's, and, and some people even say, you know, the Bible's God's love letter to humanity. I'm like, okay. I mean, I guess that's kind of true, but no, here's what the Bible really is. The Bible is the recording of God's story, and it's his way of revealing himself to us. So if you want to know who God is, honestly, your best place is not a theological textbook. Your best place is not a uh, watching a sermon series. Your best place is not reading a fictional book. If you want to know who God is, read his word because he gave us his word to reveal who he is. You want to know how he feels about things, how he acts, uh, what is his will and determination? Read your Bible. God speaks, he acts, and he reveals. And we're going to trace those things throughout the 14 years, throughout the entirety of Scripture. And by the end of it, you know what? We're going to have a very clear picture of what God has said in his word, of what he has done in his word, and what he has revealed about himself, not according to speculation, but according to the word of God itself. Absolutely. I'm so looking forward to this journey. As you know, Jake, the story of the Bible works. So, so CBT, CBT talks. Thanks for checking out this episode of CBT Talks. If you'd like to support us, uh, you can like, comment, subscribe. We have a Facebook channel, a YouTube page, and a main website, chronologicalbibleteaching.com. We're a nonprofit organization, so all those things helps get our reach out to more places. That's right. We're everywhere on the World Wide Web.